I have a confession. I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. Sweets, candy, cookies, you name it, whatever it is. If it's out on the table, I'm probably going to enjoy it. No matter if it's 6.30 in the morning or if it's right after a meal and I may or may not have already had dessert. If it's there, it just seems so impossible. And I know I shouldn't, but I just, it's hard to help myself. On the flip side, I know that, that, you know, you're supposed to be healthy, right? At least they tell you you're supposed to. I mean, I'd love to be able to see my grandkids one day. So I'm going to try to eat healthier. And so I try to make wise choices at times. Lettuce and tomato on a double cheeseburger count, right? Now, I don't know if any of that resonates with you, um, but I feel like there's so much in me that, that wants to do the right thing, but just doesn't seem to do it. And then, and then I, I just do the wrong thing. And I'm like, why am I doing this, right? Like, I don't want to do that. And I say this a little tongue in cheek because it really is so much of a deeper truth than just about uh, eating healthy. And I think that for a lot of us who follow Jesus, we sometimes look in the mirror and we go, we look at ourselves in disgust and say, who am I? Am I always going to be stuck in this pattern? And if that feels like you, if these are the questions that you wrestle with, you're in the right place today because that's the questions that we're going to wrestle with uh, this morning. So good morning. My name is Hunter Upton. I am uh, one of the pastors here at our South Haven campus of Getwell Church and glad that you've joined us for worship this morning. You've carved out this time and this rain. <laughs> Uh, and I just pray that today is a blessing uh, to everyone, but grateful uh, to have you here, especially if you're our guest uh, this morning. So today we're wrapping up a sermon series where we've been asking the question, who am I? We've been looking at this, uh, the answer to this question through scripture, uh, through the lens of scripture, through God's eyes to, to answer that question of who am I? And over and over again, what we see is that it's not, our identity is not derived from ourselves, but it's derived from Jesus Christ. And so if you haven't been here uh, or you haven't been able to watch online, I want to encourage you to go back and check out the sermons. Uh, you can find them online at Getwell Church, or just kidding. Well, you can go to Getwell Church website, but uh, I forgot what I put up here. Uh, YouTube.com slash Getwell Church South Haven. You can find uh, all the sermons there, the videos uh, from each week in this series, uh, but would love to have you catch up. But just to remind us of uh, what we've talked about each week is the first week we looked at the truth of how we have been created in the image of God and how because of that each of us have a destiny and a dignity. Now the second week we discovered this that this truth in Jesus when we place our trust in him that he calls us his children and what a blessing that is. The third week we talked about that God created us to be a servant and really the truth there is that we are blessed to go and be a blessing. And then last week we talked about this truth that God has called each of us. He's placed a calling on each of our lives and that he places us with purpose in our lives and where we are. Now today I want us to look at scripture and we're going to look at how, uh, what is our identity in relation to sin. And the question that uh, kind of been, has been posed is, are we sinners or are we saints? So, are we sinners or are we saints? Yes. All right, and you're probably going, Hunter, you're going to have to explain yourself whether or not you were thinking that. I just put that thought in your mind. So, 
You don't have to be a Christian very long to know that Christians believe in a thing called sin, right? Um, and honestly, they think that people are eat up with it. And the truth is, is that that's totally true. We are. We're eat up with it. Scripture tells us this. Experience with others shows us this. And it doesn't take long to be in your own life and go, man, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> right? See, we, we are broken and fallen. And we live in a broken and fallen world. When it comes to sin, the thing is, is that it's our choice. It really is. Scripture tells us that it's our choice. But here's the thing. Because we live on this side of the cross, we can actually make the choice now whether we want to live a life of sin or if we want to come into the goodness and fullness and gracious life that God has planned for us in Jesus. You see, we, have a, we can choose a different life, a renewed life, a full life in Jesus so if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6 this morning, working through uh, Paul's chapter there. But Paul in Romans chapter 6, he begins with talking about uh, the truth that those who've been baptized in Jesus, meaning those who've given up their lives to Jesus, that what happens is that they have died a spiritual death, but have been raised to new life in Jesus and just as he was by the power of God uh, on the day that he rose from the dead. And so what happens is because of our baptism, our life becomes hidden with Christ. Hidden with Christ. Meaning that the death that he died, he died for us. And the life that he lives now, he shares with us. So if you've got your Bibles open, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6 and let's pick up in verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we've been united with him in his death like his. We certainly also will be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body that was ruled by sin might be done away with and that we no longer should be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, this has huge implications for what we're talking about today. And the fact is, and the truth is, is that sin has been defeated. That it no longer has a hold on those who are in Jesus. We no longer have to be slaves to sin. And all of this is a free gift of God. It wasn't our own doing, but it's all in Jesus Christ alone. And the thing is that it seems so mysterious to us that Jesus would die for us. Right? Why? That's because he loves you. It's because he loves you. And it seems like a, a trite statement, I think, a lot of the times, and you would expect a pastor to say that, but that is one of the truest things in life, is that he loves you. And it's a love like any other that we find in this world. It's a love that goes beyond human measure, beyond our wildest imagination. He loves you. 
And he says, you were worth it. He would do it all over again if he had to. But he doesn't have to. Because he died that death. And he was raised to new life. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And he wants to give us that same gift of grace. He wants to, so that in order that these chains that so tightly hold us, that sin no longer has to be there, no longer has to hold us down, but that we can come into freedom and into fullness of life, even if it's for the first time. So the truth is that when we surrender to Jesus, our relationship with God isn't defined by our, our failure But instead, what happens is our life becomes defined by Jesus, his faithfulness, his glory, and his victory that he had. God looks upon us and he sees the blood of the lamb, not the guilt of of our action of sin. When talking about the life of a follower of Jesus, Martin Luther, one of the reformers of the church, observed it as being one of simultaneously a sinner and a saint. Simultaneously a sinner and a saint. So how can we be a sinner and a saint? Well, the New Testament tells us again and again that when we have been justified before God because of Jesus' perfect sinless life, when we've been justified because of his sacrifice on our behalf, that that price that Jesus paid redeems us. Because here's the thing. If we were to pay the price for our sin, it would certainly mean death. Certainly, 100%. But because of Jesus, it's different. See, here's the truth, is that we are declared a saint because of Jesus' work on the cross. Everyone's born a sinner, but we're given a new name, a new identity because of Jesus. We are declared a saint because of Jesus' work on the cross. It's not by anything we've done or deserved, but by God's grace alone. I want you to hear that. I want you to know that. I want you to let that sink into your heart. Don't let it just go in one ear and out the other. God has given you a new identity in Christ. We were a sinner in need of grace. And now God has declared us a saint. He's justified us. And he's going to work something out in us and through us. We're going to fall short. We repeatedly do. We do each and every day. But the truth is, is that we've been declared a saint by God if we've joined our lives with Jesus. Now, we're going to continue to sin. It's going to be something that happens from from here until Jesus returns or he calls us home, right? But, and this is a big but, we aren't shackled to sin any longer It has no power over those who are in Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 6. Our hearts and our minds, they're used to being sinful. But they're being transformed by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit day after day, moment after moment. And it's a thing called sanctification. Uh, It's the process of becoming a saint. Or as the New Testament uh, word for saint, it's hagios, uh, reflects it's one who is holy, Friends, the the process of sanctification going on in our lives is making us holy. It's making us like the one who is holy, Jesus. And so that's why uh, Paul says this in verse 11. He says, count yourselves dead to sin, 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus. If we're becoming like Jesus, then we can count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Just as he died to sin and he lives for God, it's that hidden life that we have with Jesus. Now that word count in verse 11 means uh, take into account or I like better reckon, reckon. Now reckoning is not claiming a promise, but it's us acting upon a fact. It's not claiming a promise, it's acting upon a fact. God doesn't command us to become dead in our sin. He tells us that we are dead to sin, so therefore, and because we're made alive with God, therefore act in that. Do it. Live it out. Act upon it. So why do we find it so hard then? Why do we still feel like we're chained to that yoke of sin's slavery? If that's true, why do we still feel that? Two reasons. The first is this, is that Satan doesn't want us to believe it's true. Satan doesn't want us to believe it's true. There's an enemy in our lives. He acts in all kinds of ways. But all his one purpose is, is to to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to deceive us into a demise that leads to death, not life. He hates God that much that he wants to deceive you, take you somewhere else. I saw it earlier this week, and I thought it was so good that Satan has a plan for our lives too. And it's true. He does. And it's eternity apart from God. It's a life filled with shackled, way down sin. But Satan doesn't want us to know. He wants us to think that those of us who've been set free from sin, that we're still somehow under its control, that it still somehow weighs us down. He wants us to think that it's hopeless to live in this life, to live faithfully to Jesus. Satan's got that plan, and he's trying his best. The second uh, reason why sometimes we find it so hard is because of our ongoing experience. Sin just seems, I do the things I don't want to do. (laughs) And I don't do the things I want to do, right? It just feels like this is all the time, a continual battle. And it seems to contradict the truth that we've been set free from sin. Why do we give in so often? Do you feel that way? And this is where we should believe with all of our heart and take confidence in the truth that by God's power, We have freedom over that cruel master of sin. Now, we're Americans. I think everyone in here is. We love our freedom, right? God bless America. But the truth is, is that freedom is a really scary thing. It just is. It's really scary. Uh, When we find ourselves in freedom, we see this throughout Scripture. When we find ourselves in freedom, we tend to squander it in really awful ways. Do you remember me in the sweets? I'm free to eat as many sweets as I want to do, but I promise you I really shouldn't because that's not going to be good. If I did, then I would let food become an idol for me. It would become a master in my life. But we're all humans. And and honestly, the truth is, is that we don't need to be left to our own devices. We have to submit to someone greater. We have to submit to someone greater. That's why Paul urges us to submit our lives to God. And you see, here's the truth, 
is that Christ has set us free from a life of sin for a life of holiness. He set us free from this life of sin, taking off the chains, breaking those by his power so that we could have freedom and life in him. And that's why Paul reiterates this truth in verse 18. He says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Here's the thing. We may occasionally slip into sin as, as Christians after we've been redeemed by Jesus, but we can't stay there. You can't stay there. It's impossible. You shouldn't. You've been set free from sin. And because our allegiance has to go somewhere, make yourselves a slave to righteousness, a slave to God. Last week, Pastor Jonathan talked about that word slave, the word doulos in Greek. And during the New Testament days, Paul and, and other Christians, they identified themselves as slaves to God. Because unlike, what's interesting is unlike normal slaves who unwillingly had to submit to their master, these Christians, these slaves to God, willingly give their wills, their wants, and their desires over to God to let him have his way with their, world, with their life. They gave themselves to one who is greater, Jesus. And so Paul goes on to encourage us in verse 19. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? These things result in death. But now, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In this present life, there will always be this powerful force for us to reckon with as Christians. But sin is no longer a master, it's no longer Lord, and it can be resisted. It should be. And so we have to yield ourselves to something different. We have to choose to follow the Lord. In Romans 6, if you read through the chapter, Paul uh, kind of personifies uh, sin as kind of this dethroned but still powerful monarch who is determined to reign in the life of a believer, uh, just as he did before we found salvation. But Paul's call is for us to not let sin reign, that we have to reckon with it, that it has no right to reign in our lives. It has no power now unless we choose to let it have power in our lives. Because we have this new life in Jesus, our soul, our soul is far beyond the reach of sin. When the Bible teaches that we're dead to sin, it's not in the sense that we're, we're dead and free to sin's temptations, but it's the fact that it no longer has the power to condemn us. Since we now identify with Jesus, this, this new life that we have, it brings with it a, a new motivation to love and obey and serve the Lord. 
And this motivation, it leads us to, as Hebrew says, to throw off, to take it off, all that sin that so easily entangles us as we run this race. He's given us life. Why do we settle for so much less? And with this new motivation, we get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who comes upon us, who dwells inside of us, who empowers us, who gives us new hearts to love and know and obey the Lord. And here's the thing. The Spirit inside of us helps us to fight that good fight, to not give in, to press forward. And he starts to work in us day after day to bring about that transformation, not just in the one little aspect of our lives that we want to give to him. But when we open ourselves up, he transforms every aspect of our lives to him. And so we're called to fight our sin, to not give in. And here's the thing. Paul begins chapter 6 with this great, uh, which is so comforting, uh, it's almost like, can you sin too much that, that you out God's grace? And the answer is absolutely not. There's always enough grace to cover our sin. Y'all, that's just how awesome our God is. Isaiah 55 talks about his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And praise God, they are. But that doesn't mean that we continue to sin. So I want to give you three ways Three practical ways that you can fight. You can fight that battle of sin in your life. And then I want to give you one encouragement. The first is this, is you got to flee. You got to flee. When you find yourselves tempted, flee. Get out of there. Don't stick around to, to see what may or may not happen. <laughs> I laugh because that's so often what I do. Oh, it may, may not. No. Don't even put yourself in the situation. Get yourself out of there. Paul encouraged those that were tempted with sexual immorality to flee. And I think that's great advice for, for those dealing with that sin. But it's also great advice for any sin that's in our lives. Flee. Get out of there. Don't find yourself drawn in. If you do find yourself drawn in, get out of there. Find yourself in a new environment. Leave the room. Do what you have to do. Change the situation. Get out of that environment. Here's the thing. Don't expect the temptation to go away if you just decide to do nothing. You got to do something. Flee. Flee. Second thing is fight. Fight. You got to have a plan. Every single battle in history that was successful started with a plan. If you don't have a plan, you're never really truly going to engage in the war with your, with your sin if you don't have a plan. If alcohol is an issue, then you got to know what you're going to do if you've been offered it. What's my steps? What am I going to take? How am I going to change that situation? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? If you're fighting with a loved one, what's your plan? How are you going to de-escalate yourself and choose to be selfless and be a servant to your loved one. If pornography or sex seems to be that thing that's hanging on to you, you gotta get filters, you gotta block numbers, you gotta find yourself to, to get a different way to not be in your head as often. But you gotta remember this, as part of your plan to fight, 
is that you don't fight alone. God has given you the Holy Spirit in your life and in your mind. Paul tells us in Timothy that he didn't give us a, a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and self-control. We have something very different than what the world offers us. We are not people without hope. We are not people without power. Our God gives us power. And so make sure that when you put out your steps for how you're going to fight this battle, that you make sure the Holy Spirit is included. So we flee, you fight. Then number two is follow through. Follow through. When it comes time to enact that plan and to fight, you got to do it. Don't just talk about doing it, all right? But you got to do it. Don't hesitate. Take that risk and then reap that reward. And here's the thing. With any battle of sin, because we're humans, there's going to be times that we're unsuccessful. There's going to be times when we fail at enacting that plan. There's going to be times when we say the thing that we told ourselves we were not going to say. When we did the thing that we said we're not going to do. But you have to trust in the grace of Jesus. It's a grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this great little part in a book called Cost of Discipleship, where he talked about the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. Cheap grace is that, uh, that, that grace that we get when we, we kind of willingly sin, we knowingly sin, and we're like, ah, oh, God's got me, he's, he's gonna forgive me, and it's true. He does, and he will. But costly grace is that grace that we carry with us and we know that when we're fighting the battle, we know what price was paid that we could have forgiveness. We know what price was paid that we should have life. And that is all in Jesus. And so we lean into that and it gives us the ability to, to follow through with this plan, this battle that we're waging against our sin. So, Flee, fight, and follow through. And then I want to give you a word of encouragement, and it's fellowship. It's fellowship. We've got to seek out fellowship. If you want the battle to be a little bit easier, or at least to have your heart to be strengthened for this battle that we're going to have, you've got to surround yourself with God and with godly people. Fellowship with God first and foremost. Got to spend time with him. Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you. Every moment that you spend with Jesus does not go to waste. It doesn't. Even if it's five seconds here and there, I don't know. You probably spend a little bit more time than that. But it all adds up. It changes you over time as you spend time in his word, as you, as you spend time in prayer, crying out to God, asking him for help, asking him to make a way where only he can make a way. None of it goes to waste. Spend time with God. And then here's the thing about that, is that sometimes we hear that small voice that's just that soothing presence to know that we're not alone. That soothing presence that says, I'm going to give you a little reprieve, that you know that I am good. You got to know, got to spend time with him. But godly people are also a gift to each of us. I mean, look around this room. There are godly people all in here. There are a whole lot of saints in here who come alongside you, who are dealing with stuff, the same thing that you're dealing with. I can guarantee you that there's any number of people in here that are dealing with what you're dealing with as well. 
Surround yourselves with godly people. Take the risk. Don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to find accountability for what's going on in your life. Don't be afraid to open yourselves up to God and to others. And I love how James puts it, is that you ask God to forgiveness and he is faithful to forgive. Confess your sins to him. And then he goes on to say, confess your sins to your brothers so that you may find healing. God is faithful to forgive and we find forgiveness in him. But when we confess our sins to our brothers, we find something also equally as great, healing, healing. That's the power of our God. So let's be people who seek forgiveness and healing from fellowship with God and with godly people. And by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives and joining in that transforming work that he's working about in us, we become more like Jesus. We become obedient to him. And we can have assurance in this promise of, of not just holiness today, but also eternal life. And it reminds us of verses 22 and 23 again. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do you view yourself? How should you view yourself? As a saved sinner, a saint, one who is holy because Christ has paid that price for you to be holy. And what it takes is a shift in perspective, right? Of, of us giving our lives to him and knowing that because we've given our lives to him that he views us in this way. And what that does is it, it gives us a, a renewed fever to, to fight the sin that is in our lives, to pursue holiness in our lives, to become like Jesus. But it has to start with a shift in our perspective. And so if you've given your life to Jesus, but yet you still feel this, this struggle with sin. You still feel like you're shackled down. I want you to hear the truth of scripture. I want you to hear this truth, these words of truth, that it's a declaration that you are forgiven and redeemed and loved and are holy and being made holy because of Jesus. It's all for your good and it's all for God's glory. We will always have this battle with sin, but we don't have to let it have power over us any longer because Jesus has made sure of that. If you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you're here today, but you feel the weight of the world, you feel that this experience with the wreckage of sin is just so overwhelming. Jesus says these words, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And maybe today is the day that you're ready to take off that yoke of slavery and to take on his light and easy burden and find life and freedom for the first time. When we see our lives as God sees us, is when we see ourselves as made in the image of God, that we are his children, that we are servants and being a blessing to others. When we have, that we've been called and that we have purpose and that we have freedom from our sin because of Jesus. And because of that, we have a present and future holiness that's being worked out. It changes the way that we live our lives today.
Because the thing is, is that our lives are not centered around our own accomplishments and strength, but around Christ alone. So let's commit to have that shift in perspective, to view ourselves as, as God does beloved and hidden in Christ and let him make something beautiful, something greater than we can imagine, something holy out of us, no matter what it takes. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so, so grateful. Words don't really even express how grateful we are for your sacrifice on our behalf, the payment that you made for us to redeem us from our sin. And God, that cruel master that sin is no longer has its chains upon us, Lord, because of your work. And so, Lord, would you please help us Help our minds, help our hearts to know and to see and to experience the the chains falling off this morning, Lord. And Lord, would you send your spirit to work in us and through us that we may live lives that pursue holiness in you, Jesus. Father, too often we settle for so much less than the fullness of life that you offer. And so God, I pray that I, that we, that all who listen, that are in the sound of my voice, Lord, that we would lean into you. Lord, that we would abandon ourselves and come to you to find the healing and the hope and the wholeness that only you offer. Father, have your way with us. That's what we ask today. We ask that you would help us to to know the truth that we were sinners, but yet now because of your love, Jesus, we have been made holy and that we are saints. We thank you for that truth and that assurance that we hang on to, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. In just a moment, we're gonna sing a song of response and there's these words that I I want you to hear, this truth that we're gonna sing. It says, where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Friends, if you're ready to commit yourself to the plan that God has for your life, to hitch yourself to his freedom in life that God's offering, then I want you to take the time to tell him that. Pray. Say, God, it, it is, it's all to you now. These altar rails are open. You're welcome to come pray. You're welcome to pray in your seat. You're welcome to grab a neighbor next to you, however and wherever. But let's respond. Let's give our lives to Jesus, the one who is worthy. Let's stand and sing together.